0: Welcome back to another episode of Husky Talk. Our guest today was a rookie in this year's Rod. He was born and raised in South Africa. He came to the United States in 2010 to learn more and see the world. After hearing about dog sledding, he joined the kennel in Michigan. Sadly, he did not finish the Rod this year. He was less than 70 miles from the finish when he had to be rescued. Please welcome to the show, Gearhart Fiart. Hello, Gearhart.
1: Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me.
1: With this being the 50th anniversary of the Iditarod, we are going to start off with a little Iditarod trivia. We have five questions. Are you ready?
2: Absolutely.
1: First question. Who founded the Iditarod?
2: Who started it?
1: Yeah.
2: Yes. Okay, that will be uh, Reddington Sr. Yes, and perfect. he had another... Friend, uh, I think his name was Folly or Fowley or Furley, I met, I actually met him in when we are known, And there was a, another woman involved doing the admin, and her name was Paige Dorothy. She was doing the admin. Yes. And that correct. was in 19. That was in 1973, which is the first race. Good job.
1: That's correct. Second question. Who won, the very yes. first, who won the very
2: first, won the very first Iditarod? Uh, oh, you got me there. Um, if you can hold on, let me see. Let me get my memories. Tell me, and then uh, I've got a nice big book here. And I'll tell you quickly, let me do some research about the first Iditarod ever. Are you cheating? Uh, no, no, no. (laughs) No, actually, no, I'm not cheating. I'm just thinking, 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 thinking. Uh, Could it have been a a Daryl Reynolds? No. No. Okay. Who was it? Who won the first one? It
1: was Dick Wilmer.
2: Okay. All right. I got it. You got me. All right, next question.
1: Who who was the first female I did ride champion?
2: Who was the first? Female. Female. Uh, Susan Butcher. Wrong.
1: So, it was Libby Riddles. Wrong. <laughs> yes.
2: yes. <laughs> I'm not doing too good, am I? <laughs>
1: what was the right, closest <laughs> what was the closest finish
2: the fastest finish
1: closest closest
2: the closest uh, explain like was there
0: multiple seconds between the two finishing
2: for first and second oh, place no mm-hmm. that i don't know that i don't even have to think about i don't know
1: Dick Mackey beat you tell me. Dick Mackey beat
2: Rick Swenson by one second in nineteen seventy eight. Oh wow! Dick Mackey, which is uh, Lance Mackey's father, beat Rick Swenson, which has won it five times compared to Dallas C V in nineteen seventy eight.
1: Yes.
2: Oh uh, wow! Do you know? Do you know what was the total time? No. Oh, that would have been interesting. Oh, yeah. Right, next question.
1: Who was the oldest person to ever finish that I ride?
2: I know he was a colonel in the military, and uh, his name I don't know, but
3: I'm guessing that, or not guessing, I think he
2: was around uh, right about 82 years old. Close. He was 84. Eighty-four, and he was a colonel, wasn't he? Yes. We don't know. Yes.
1: Yes. 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 Well,
0: yeah, he was a colonel in the military.
2: Um, and uh, which year was that? Oh,
1: we don't. Colonel Norman
2: Vaughn. Ah, oh, Colonel Norman Vaughn. That's right. I got it. <laughs> I got it. That name, that
1: name rings a bell, and is familiar. You got one out
2: All of right, five. All right, next question. That was it. You got one out of five correct. Oh, I've got 20%. That's a it. I fail.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can you start off by telling us oh, don't, don't
2: be, Don't be too hard on me.
0: <laughs> Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself?
2: Yes, I was uh, born and raised in uh, Africa, actually South Africa. It's about a hundred miles north of Cape Town, the city of Cape Town. I grew up there, born there, grew up there. I graduated school, and after graduating school, I joined the military course, we were at war at that time, um, uh, and then uh, in the military, I obtained the rank of uh, first lieutenant, platoon commander. I had thirty troops or soldiers in my command. Uh, I stayed in the military for two years. I did six tours in Angola. Oh, done with that. I joined the banking corporation and I worked in the bank working myself up and then uh, I fell in love with the restaurant industry and then I stayed in the restaurant industry for I'll say 25 years. In 2003 I got married to AJ. And then in 2010, we decided we wanted to change our lifestyle because um, we had uh, Siberian Huskies
3: at that point. And we did a little bit of dry land sledding, which is like on dirt
2: roads with a cart or a scooter with wheels or bicycles. And uh, that's when, in about 2002, I've heard about the Iditarod. Only I've heard about it. And uh, I started uh, buying um, Iditarod DVDs and documentaries. Funny laughing with the race. In 2010, me and my wife, we came over to America. We worked in Michigan at a sled dog kennel in Michigan. And in 2010, we moved to Alaska. And then I did my qualifiers. And this year, I, did, I tried the Iditarod. And that's my life in a short. What are you there? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yes.
2: yes.
1: You
2: got to figure it out. Go ahead. Are there any are there <laughs> any specific questions about What's my next? life?
1: What sparked your interest in doing
2: the IAR? Actually I was tricked into it. I looked at this DVD I for DVDs. Remember we're from South Africa. We mm-hmm. don't even have snow in our country. The coldest it gets where we lived was around about 40 degrees, and that's not very cold. So, I looked at this, I did draw DVDs, and I looked at the scenery. I looked at those beautiful teams on the mountains. I looked at sunsets over the Yukon. I looked at sunrises over the Bering Sea, all on this DVD. And just the scenery and the beauty of it all, and the... And the passion involved with you and your dogs all alone, that intrigued me and that got me interested in doing the Iditarod. It's like I want to do it to have that feeling of being out there, just you and your dogs and doing what you have to do. And that's, that's what got me involved in the Iditarod. So it
0: looks like you work for an Iditarod now starting in 2020. Talk to us about that experience and how that prepared you for the run.
2: I did my. I came up um, to Alaska in 2020 October, and um, to start training, I run. Um, I worked for uh, Mitch Ciby, um He's kennel up in Sterling, and uh, we spoke about it. And the idea was to do my my qualifiers. So you started training and training and training, but I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, currently, I'm still a rookie. Every single time you hook up dogs, you learn something new. And
3: um, my first qualifier was uh, the Copper Basin 300 in January of 2021. And the Copper Basin 300 is also known as the toughest 300-mile race, and that was tough. That race was hard, it was cold, um, I got frostbite in my toes,
2: um, I broke my my collarbone, and uh, that was, I was silent after that, I was like, I wasn't scared, but it, I realized that if this is only a 300 mile race, and this is a qualifier, the Iditarod is gonna take much more of this out of me. So my second qualifier was the Willow 300 in uh, February, a month later in February of 2021. And uh, the Willow was not that bad. It's not as tough as the Copper Basin and and I did okay. And that's in that race where I broke my collarbone, not knowing that I broke my collarbone. I got dragged down a mountain with ice and
3: uh, I was on my side and I saw a tree coming straight at me. I saw
2: the tree and I had two options let go or hold on. And the golden rule in dog sledding is you never, ever, ever let go. I did not let go and I, uh, with a, uh, the tree actually stopped me. My shoulders bumped against the tree and that actually stopped the entire team. It was painful, not knowing my shoulder or my collarbone was broken. So I continued the race. I finished that
3: race. Um, not that bad. A month later, I did my third qualifier uh, on the Denali Highway.
2: It's a 200-mile qualifier. And uh, it felt good. It felt good doing all three qualifiers in one season. It, uh, it, it really happens. Then I went back to Michigan to my wife. And uh, last year, October of uh, 2021, we came up and we started training for the Iditarod. Um, I trained um, all my dogs in my team were two-year-olds. We call them the yearling team or puppy team. Um, that's young, young kids, basically. Um, and you got to take them through the steps. You don't race with a yearling team. You take it slower, and you, you just want to give them the experience of what it is to go in through the Iditarod so that young dogs can ha- get the experience. Coming back to your question what prepared me for the Idit Rod.
3: In my honest opinion, there's nothing that can prepare you for the Idit
2: Nothing, you gotta be physically strong, but more so, you gotta be mentally strong. You gotta be strong in your head to move forward. And uh, I've heard many stories, I've listened to to many tales on the trails, Um, I visualized it, I'm trying, I was before the Iditarod, I was thinking how could it be, how should it be? In short, me personally, there is nothing that could have prepared
3: me for the Iditarod. The trail is what it is,
2: everyone is running the same trail. Um, Some years the trails are harder and tougher than other years, and vice versa on different sections. In one section you might have it easy this year and the next year in 2023 that can be the most difficult stretch as the weather changes as the snowfall changes and accumulates the ice and the rain um, the trail changes but you i took it one mile at a time from checkpoint to checkpoint
1: and that's 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 all i can say for my preparedness for the Iditarod. Sounds like you had a great race up to White Mountain. Can you talk to us about yes. how your race went up
2: to that point? My race went great up until White Mountain. Um, do you want to hear what happened from White Mountain to Nome? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, um, oh. I had incidents on the trail as, for instance, I left um, Rainy Pass to Rhone. And in that section, um, they call it the Dalzell Gorge. But first, you got to go up Rainy Pass, and it was snowing. It was early morning, so it was still dark. It was snowing. I couldn't see the trail, and I had uh, two dogs in lead. And they, you got to, you got to command them, give them voice commands where to go, either left or right, to get on the trail and move forward. And the two dogs was like the one was pulling left and the other one was pulling right. So I took. 100 a uh, lead and put him back in the team, and the one single dog that was in lead, his name was, uh, or oh, is Altima, and he did an amazing job following my voice commands, going a little bit right, right, straight, 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 and then we're carrying on a little bit left because I can see, barely see the trail, the reflectors on the trail markers above the snow drifts. And uh, at one point, we were coming down a slight hill, but at the bottom of the hill was a
3: 90 degree sharp turn to the right with a tree right on the corner. Now your dog's got to zip
2: around the corner. And with the snow being so thick, I couldn't manage my sled around, and my sled bumped straight into that tree. The dog's already turning to the right, and with the jerk of the tree, of my sled being um, hooked behind the tree, I lost a, my lead dog, lost meaning his tug line, his rope broke, which attached him to the uh, gang line. Without me knowing, so I got my sled up again and around the tree and I looked down and the visibility was poor, it was snow, it was white out. And I looked down to my dogs and say, why do I have two dogs in lead. As far as I can remember, I had one dog. Stop, yes, there it is, I've I've got two dogs and my lead dog is gone. And I looked in the snow, I called back, I called back, and I looked in the snow and I said, oh, there's his footprints going down the trail. I said, okay, if he's down the trail, I will catch up with him, because they will hardly, they will not leave the trail. They won't go in the deep snow and go play and explore around. So like after a mile or two, oh, I saw a green eyes up the uh, trail, and there is Altima waiting for me as if he was saying, where are you guys? Why you take so long? Mm-hmm. So there I got Altima back, and uh, all good, and we got to Rome checkpoint. That was one incident, but going back to the start, I was leaving Willow, and uh, our first checkpoint was quite now, but it's 70 miles away. I only trained to run 50 miles and shorter. But in between Squatna and Willow was a, uh, a, a stop called the Yetna Station. I said, okay, I'm going to camp out at this, run about 35 or 40 miles away from the start. So I said to myself, I'm going to camp in Willow, uh, not Willow, at Yetna Station to give my dogs just a two-hour break, feed them, um, put them down store, stall, keep their booties off so they can rest a while. My dogs will not rest in Vietnam. I camped down, I got my snow hooks in, they pulled my snow hooks, I had to dive for my sled, got dragged several, several times, and I just said to hell with it. And uh, I packed up and and I moved on.
3: And uh, the best experience, there's a lot of good experiences.
2: Um, Leaving Ruby Checkpoint, I also left Ruby Checkpoint. Uh, three or four in the morning, dark, very cold. And uh, Ruby Checkpoint is the first checkpoint where you go onto the uh, Yukon River. And uh, when the sun came up, I was on the Yukon River and I looked around me and it was just absolutely spectacular. It was beautiful. And uh, I thought to myself, How many people do I actually know in person that can tell me they have seen a sunrise on the Yukon River from a dog sled? That was a great, great feeling and experience. And the other great experience, um, which I'll take home with me, is uh, I left, let me see, I left Una Le on My way to, um, I think, Unalakleet. I was on my way to a uh, checkpoint, I think it was Kayak. And uh, from Unalakleet, you go up on the ice on the river, and then you start climbing and climbing, and they call it the Blueberry Hills. No, no, sorry, from Unalakleet, you go to Shaktulik. So I was on my way to Shaktulik, and when I reached the top of this hills which they call the blueberry hills and I look towards my left the sun was setting over the Bering Sea and I've heard about the Bering Sea and and I've read about the Bering Sea and all the dangers and what can go wrong running on the Bering Sea but I'm not there yet I'm on top of blueberry hill which is basically a mountain and I look to my left and I actually stopped and I uh, put my snow hooks in, and I sat there for a minute or two, just looking at the sunset, observing it. Uh, it was beautiful. I got to Shaktulik. Of course, I missed my checkpoint, gotta turn around, I flipped my sled, got dragged into the checkpoint on ice. but anyway, so six hours later, I was leaving Shaktulik, and now I'm physically going on to the Bering Sea. So here we go on the Bering Sea and, uh, and the wind was coming up. It was a strong, strong wind. Visibility was poor. Um, they call it a ground storm. Um, it's only uh-huh. around about six feet high, uh, the winds. When you sit on your sled you cannot see, but you've got to stand up and look over the winds to see. And, and, and that was also experience, traveling from Shaktulik to Koyak with um, that brown storm and the winds on the berry and the Barry we made it safely and we got to Koyak. and that's the, that's that's the good memories. There's actually no bad memories from the Iditarod. The others was just a lot of moguls and uh, a tough trial for me was leaving Rome to cripple. Um, or over, where we now run to Nikolai. Um, we have experience in one trail. You've got ice, rocks, dirt, uh, buffalo grass. You've got uh, man. You've got driftwood sticking out, and you are going to sidestep that. And then you're on the ice again, and then you're on snow-covered trails, and then you're on the dirt again and rocks. Uh, that was a tough piece for me, but we made it safely.
1: For the listeners, all measures are required to take an eight-hour mandatory stop in White Mountain. When it was time for you to leave White Mountain, were you aware of the storm that was looming ahead? Not at all. No one was aware of the storm. Before we left White Mountain, um, we
2: asked the ITC officials at White Mountain Checkpoint to phone um, the headquarters in Nome and to ask them, what is the wind conditions or what will the wind conditions be in the Cop Hills? And uh, according to all the weather stations in that area, they said it was normal. It's around about 50 miles per hour and we'll get, we'll get past that or through that easily. Even the blowhole wasn't that bad. So we
1: had, um, the conditions was favorable when we left White Mountain at 3 in the morning. The infamous storm. Talk to us about that experience.
2: Uh, okay. We left. I went down and um, got my team ready, and there was a slight breeze. Just a slight breeze. Not that bad. You can, It was cold, but you still can booty your dogs and take care of your dogs without any gloves. Wasn't that wasn't that cold. Leaving White Mountain, you travel down the river for a few miles, no winds calm as ever. You turn left off the river up into the top and into the hills. And then the and then the wind started picking up. Slowly but surely, slowly and and for me this is the idea there's supposed to be winds, it's supposed to be tough. Sixteen miles in the winds was so strong, like I went down a little short decline on the hill and the bottom of the hill was a polished glacier, just ice. When my team hit that ice, the wind lifted me, my sled, and my team lifted us up and threw us at least 80 to 100 yards to our left, just completely like tumbleweed, we were nothing. We got off the ice, Bridget was behind me. She helped me, got off the ice, back on the trail again, and uh, we, I secured my lead dogs, and uh, we went back over the right ice. The we right actually pulled over the ice and because we, we couldn't stand, stand we up. To the and we got her team over. And at that point, I thought this was normal. This is the Iditarod. It is the toughest race on earth. It is going to be hard. No one said it's going to be easy. And as I said, I thought this is normal. And then Bridget said it was bad because Bridget grew up in that area. She knows she the now top top
3: and that's where Bridget
2: and Bridget made the call and said this is bad. We gotta hunker down our teams. And the winds was bad. The winds would lift even when our teams were hunkered down. The wind will still try to lift our sleds off the ground and it's heavy. I mean one person cannot pick up the sled with the loads that we have in. At some point the winds pick up ice from the ground and it's like bullets coming at you. That's
1: how strong the winds were. So people understand all mushers have an emergency button on their sled. Can you tell us more about this button?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, um, the button is uh, on your tracker. my show has got a tracker. It looks like uh, if I can, uh, it's run about two inches by three inches, and that got uh, that, that, that that tracker
3: got attached to your sled on the in the front where no branches or whatever can hit hit it. So, when a time when
2: I've made my mind to um, made up my mind, and said, okay, for the safety of my dogs. I need to be rescued. My dogs need to be rescued. We need to get out of here. I crawled around my sled because the winds were so strong. You could not stand up. At that point, all our dogs were in us, were in a snow trench we dug to get the dogs out of the wind. And I got the uh, the tracker and the emergency it, out, and enough. I looked at it. And I right, pressed and pressed, yeah. but I, and then I realized that there's some kind of plastic cover or plastic flap
3: you first got to remove, then you can press the button. And
2: that was quite funny for me. And said, here I am, stupid rookie. I don't even know how this emergency thing worked, but I'm going to try it out anyway. But at that point, my fingers were so frozen and cold, because we've been there several hours now, digging and working with our dogs and just freezing And uh, I used the pin, which they used to attach the tracker to my sled. I used that pin. It's like a needle, like a nail, to press that button. And uh, pressing that button, I don't know what I was expecting. I don't know if I was expecting an explosion or bullets or alarms going off. I I don't know. And uh, I pressed it several times. Well, well, this is it. If no one... If this tracker is not working, we are doomed. I Men, we are really doomed. Someone's most probably going to see that we've been stationary for some time. But that was my experience with the emergency tracker. It was, it was, it was fun. It was, it was. I haven't done that. It was the first time I've done that, and uh, I had to laugh at myself that I don't, I didn't even know. I had to figure out how the emergency button works.
1: Is there anything you would have had done differently knowing what you know
2: now? No, not at all. Not in the conditions that we were in. I think back a lot. I mean, you have, you have thoughts. Um, and
3: the main thing is, you, you make calculations. Could we have turned our teams around? No,
2: we couldn't. The winds were too strong and too dangerous.
3: Could we have moved forward? Nope. Um, the winds, once again,
2: too strong, too dangerous. I mean, the winds were so strong that when they sent out the search and rescue teams, they came with 900 to 1,000 pounds heavy snow machines. The wind flipped those snow machines like tumbleweeds. What would it do to a 50, 60 pound dog? There's no way. Um, would we have could we have waited longer? No, nope.
3: not at all. I'm happy with that decision because the wind only died
2: down 14 or 16 hours yeah, later. Office,
3: and for yeah, the safety of my dogs and for the safety of ourselves, I had no remorse and no bad feelings of push
0: of pushing that emergency button. We did the right thing at the right time. What goes through your mind knowing how close you were to Nome? Oh, that is, um, it's sad. Um, it's been a dream for me for 20 years. Um, but when I sat there with that emergency
2: button in my hands, the 20 years of working to get to this point, it didn't matter. Reaching Nome and finishing the race didn't matter. There was no ego, uh, there was no... There was the only thing that was involved there was the safety of my dogs. And me being an officer in the military, the safety of my soldiers came first and will always come first. It's your job as a leader and officer to make sure that your soldiers go back to their families and so the pups. And that, um, that was the thought process there. It was, although, you know, Nome is only 50, 60 miles away, you've come this far. And uh, no, it, nothing mattered
1: except for the safety of my dogs at that point. That's a good
0: comparison. Do you think you'll be back next year to give that dead rod a shot? absolutely i'm already start i'm already starting to train oh yeah i've got the unfinished
2: business in Nome, and uh, don't give up my dream was to reach gnome i missed gnome with 50 miles never ever ever give up if i don't do it again i'm giving up so yes you'll see me next year on the trail again god willing if my health um, keeps up and i'm healthy and my team is healthy we'll be definitely At the
0: ceremonial start in Anchorage in
2: 2023. That's good news. Mm. It took me a while to make that decision.
1: (laughs) Our final segment on our show is a new segment which we are calling Most Valuable Dog. We would like you to pick a dog you feel is worthy of being called Most Valuable Dog for your I Did Rod Race. What dog would you choose and tell us a little bit about that dog?
2: Okay Oh, most valuable Most, most, most That is a tough one They all are valuable But I'm going to pinpoint I'm going to pick one His name is Renny. Two years old He's got the softest heart The prettiest eyes He's just a big old baby Or big young baby And now Renny Is not the best leader I have, but every time you put Rennie in front, you know Rennie will give you everything he's got and he's got, and he's only there's only one thing in his mind, and that is moving forward. In most of my tough situations, whether windstorms, ground storms, whiteouts, and even the last stretch. From White Mountain to now, in those wings, I had Renny and Altamine League.
0: And uh, yes, when I think back, man, the dog I would like to turn out and pull out of the pack and say, this is my VIP, it will be Renny. Thank you so much for taking the time to tell us your stories today.
2: You are more than welcome, and thank you for inviting me onto your show. I appreciate it.
1: Special thanks to Gearheart, the art, for being on our show today. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or people you would like to hear on our show, please email us at huskytalk1 at gmail.com. If we hear from you or you leave a review, we will read on the show.
0: We would like to also give credit to Hobo Jim for our interest song, and our trail song, and our outro song
1: call this race. the did a rock trail. To me, it's Reddington's run. In my heart, it's Reddington's run.